kittens, we are back with another very special stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of the BrandoCast. And joining me today, via the power of Zoom, I had no idea that my friend in real life was an actor, a writer, and a director. I only know her as Heather, but if you go to IMDb and type in the words Heather Graham, you will be blown the fuck away. I have no idea where she is in the world right now, but that doesn't matter because she's joining us today on the Brando cast. Ladies and gentlemen, Heather Graham. Oh, that's such a sweet introduction. Don't you think that should just be your introduction from now on, wherever you go? Oh my God, you're the best. I'm so honored to be on your podcast and you're one of the funniest people that I know. Well, uh, from what are they? What's the saying? From your lips to God's ears, or something like that. Um, well, you know, you know it's true. You know about your funniness. And you, <laughs> you can appreciate it, I'm sure. Um, I used to be funny, Heather. In the '90s, I was really fucking funny, but it just didn't I really think you pan might be out. More funny now, though. Well, I'm fatter now. That's what I know. I am. I am. I, there, there's the pandemic 15, and I think I'm approaching the pandemic 25. Oh my God. What All have right. you been eating? I'll tell you what I've been eating. <laughs> I'll tell you what I've been eating. Domino's. Mm. It's just mm. horrible. And I've also been eating cactus burritos from Cactus on Tahunga oh. and Moore Park for those of you listening at home. And also a lot of steak. Okay. Well, I've been making Trader Joe's cauliflower crust pizzas with pesto. That it might, maybe you want to try substituting that. No, wait a minute. Tell me, t- just walk me through that whole thing. Talking about food on your podcast, I don't know, but uh, it's good. So you buy? Crust- you, it's like a cauliflower. It also has a little bit of like I think corn and potato. And then I, I've been getting this like vegan because you know we have some friends that are animal rights activists. I've been getting me into this vegan. So I got the vegan kale pesto with some vegan cheese, and then I put um, some tomatoes and, and like onions on it. It was very good. That sounds delicious. I texted to you. You could try it. Um, please do because that's so much better than a goddamn Domino's pepperoni pizza. You can have the fun of eating a pizza with a healthier, healthier pizza. I'm listening to someone who looks perfect. I mean, you you look amazing. The setting that you're in looks amazing. It is the I'm most fashionable. By the way, I'm in New York. Okay, you are in New York. Are you working on something right now? Well, uh, I am working on something that basically you actually helped me with, um, you know, chosen family, that script that, um, I wrote that knock on wood, I'm directing and acting in. Um, I have this great producer that I've worked with as an actress and he's kind of in the process of cat. We're in the process of casting it right now. Okay. That is horrifically exciting. I know. I think uh, I haven't talked to you about this yet, but we just started about a week ago. So we're hoping to shoot it in May in Montana. So send good vibes. People on the podcast that are listening, send me some good vibes. The, the title of that script remains Chosen Family. Yeah. It's sort of about how the people that might not be your biological family can sometimes give you more love than, than your actual, you know, they can feel like your real family, which, you know, you've definitely always been really loving, wonderful person in my life. And I'm really grateful for that. Uh, well, uh, that is high praise. And as the great Neil Peart. You Pert- some fun jokes that I, I, I did add to the script after you read it. And, uh, you know. You did. Joke punch-ups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, I'm always available for joke punch-ups, but that is so. So you're going to be directing this. Yeah. Are you going to put yourself in this? Yes, I am going to put myself in it and also hopefully some other wonderful actors. Yeah, we're just in the process. We just made an offer to an actor and we're just in the process of hopefully making an offer to a second actor. So yeah, it's an ensemble. It's an ensemble story. 
That is so awesome. Are you doing auditions via Zoom? I think eventually we might. At the moment, we're kind of um, hiring like more of name people to, um, you know, we're getting our financing and we're, you know, the financier has specific requirements for those people. And then once we solidify that, I think then we would start, you know, the other roles potentially. Yes. You know, that is so awesome. You are, you're a supernova, you're a doer, you're a high achiever. Uh, if you need someone in the script who looks like a 50-something hobo, uh, you know I'm your guy. And, no, and I'm willing to do this podcast. I feel like you're one of the funniest people I know. You do need your, um, you, you should have your own podcast. I also think you'd be a great late night talk show host, like a David letterman kind of person or whatever. Jimmy Fallon, Johnny Carson. I could see you. You're so charming, you know, and you always like, you know how to make people like laugh. Well, let me just say this. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but back in the nineties when I was young and handsome, and way funnier, I was actually repped by Gersh, and I tested to be the host of Rock and Roll Jeopardy, which was Jeopardy, produced by the Jeopardy people. You'd be amazing on that, because you know everything about music. I Well, I tested, and the final three people to test for that show were Henry Rollins from Black Flag, wow, Jeff Probst, who went on to host Survivor, and me. And the three of us each did a full run-through of the show on the Jeopardy set. Uh, Jeff Probst booked that show. I think it's it might be out there somewhere on YouTube. But that was that was my I think that was my closest knock on the door, if you will. And then everything has been downhill since then. We started this fabulous podcast. Well, I am so honored that you're here today <laughs> to play the game of the Brando Cast with me. Okay. And when I asked Heather to join me on this show, I said, "What's your favorite band? Who do you want to talk about?" She said to me. Radiohead is an English rock band formed in Abington, Oxfordshire in 1985. The band consists of Tom York, brothers Johnny and Colin Greenwood, Ed O'Brien, and Phil Selway. The members of Radiohead met while attending the Abington School, an independent school for boys. They were originally called As On A Friday, but changed their name when they signed to EMI Records in 1991. The name Radiohead was taken from the song Radiohead on the Talking Heads album True Stories. All right, Heather, tell me about your love of Radiohead. I feel like you just taught me so much about Radiohead, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's uh, there's mansplaining, and there's uh, Brendan splaining. Brando splaining. Uh, hopefully I won't get too annoying with the Brendan splaining, although I, I'm going to share more uh, bits about the history of Radiohead for you and the listeners. But uh, okay. tell me about your love of Radiohead. Okay. Well, all right. I want to set the stage that I grew up with a very conservative religious family, and we were not really allowed to listen to MTV, right? We, um, I think I had two albums. Like, we, they never listened to music in the house, so it took me a while to get cooler and hipper with music. So I remember that it was later on into Radiohead that I really, I think it was around, like, Kid A that I really fell in love. And then I had to, of course, go back. I mean, I always heard their music, but growing up like not really uh being like allowed to listen to a lot of rock music or whatever i um yeah i think kid a was when i really fell in love with them 
Okay, that is an incredible detail. Um, I did not know that your parents were so strict that you couldn't rock out as a little kid. Well, no, I could never go to any rock and roll concerts, and I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies. And I remember I only had two albums. I think I had The Police and Thriller. You know, I because I don't know, we didn't, we weren't really allowed like allowed to go. And I remember having them on this little tape player, and I don't know. So I'm so glad that now I can just listen to whatever music I want. Wow, did, <laughs> was there ever a time? Uh, because I believe that you grew up in Agora Hills, correct? Mm, I did. Uh, now, for people who don't know, listening at home, Agora Hills is way out in the West Valley, way, way, way out there on the on the 101, on the road to Malibu. Uh, it is a bucolic, rustic, now hyper-affluent community. But that's a haul to drive into Los Angeles as a teenager. Did you ever sneak into town to go to see a concert? Um, I would sneak into town to more like I would go on auditions. That's when I started acting and then occasionally for like a date, you know, but, um, I think as a teenager, I really didn't go to that many concerts. When I was in my twenties, I did get to go to a lot of cool concerts actually. Cause then I was like a cool, like Hollywood had a lot of cool friends and opportunities. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when you're a teenager in Agora Hills, this is another question I'm dying to ask you, what's the typical Agora Hills teen playground? Do, I mean, do, do kids like drive into the Valley a little bit further to go out? What do they do? Well, I think that, um, you know, a lot of, I think, you know, they made those movies called like mall rats and things like that. Basically there's not a lot of culture out there. It's just suburban track homes and then you'll have a mall. Right. And if you drive really far, you can go to a bigger mall. So it's pretty much like, do you want to go to the nearby mall? or the farther away bigger mall <laughs> or do you wait until someone's parents go out of town and then they have some sort of party there and usually you know a lot of kids were maybe doing drugs and things like that but you know it was really like a mall culture when you went over to your other friends houses and stuff like that is that where uh, a young heather could rock out because she was not at home um, well, my best friend who I'm still best friends with, she was really, she kind of was like into heavy metal and like Van Halen. She was very into like David Lee Roth. In fact, I think even today she still like has the hots for him, but yeah. And I probably was like, well, I, to be honest, I had a crush on Michael Jackson as a kid. Doesn't that sound disturbing now to think of? Like I was like, I had a picture of him in that white suit with like the yellow tie and I thought he was hot. I don't know. That's really disturbing. Right. Um, it's, I, did you ever meet Michael Jackson? No, I never did. Uh, I'm so glad that you didn't because I did meet Sting and I did meet Bono, which I think both of them. Okay. As a kid, I had a huge crush on Sting and I was in love with him. And I, then I I once at a film festival met Bono and sort of, we became friendly and he was very, very cool. Uh, where did you meet Sting? I met Sting at like a party because I had a friend who was a musician who was making a song with him for a documentary. And so I met him like two times at a party. (laughs) But I don't know him. Like, I'd like to claim he's like my close friend, but no. Do you still find Sting attractive? I think he's cute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's like my crush, my young, like, I'm like, Sting, oh God. Like, you know, your first, it was him and also Harrison Ford, which I think doesn't really apply to your podcast because it's not about music, but Harrison Ford. No, 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 I, no, no, that's that. uh, Did you ever work with Harrison Ford? No, but I met him at a party once when he was with Calista Flockhart. And I'm like, you were my first, um, you know, that first moment when you're like watching a movie and you think, I wonder what it would be like to kiss someone, you know, like that was how I felt about Harrison Ford. 
that is hysterical. I had my celebrity crush as a teenager was Mia Sarah from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, she's so pretty. So when I, in the 90s, I did a, believe it or not, this guy right here, this fat hobo in the 90s, 1995, 1996, I did a one-man show. It was called The Chump Train, and it was the story of me chasing a girl who wasn't into me. But one of the stories in that show was me secretly following Mia Sarah around the Trader Joe's that used to be on the Santa Monica and Poinsettia way back in the oh day. And uh, Did I you was really re- that? Or you just, I, I, was kind, well, kind of. I mean, I, I embellished the story a little bit for the show, but I did see her in the, you know, in the Trader Joe's on Santa mm-hmm. Monica and Poinsettia. So I told that story within the show. I was repped at Gersh at the time. So was she. So the Gersh agents brought her to one of the shows. <laughs> oh my God. Was she nice? She was very nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that, she's that was slightly creepy. <laughs> Radiohead released their debut album, Pablo Honey, in February of 1993. It stalled at number 22 in the UK as Creep and its follow up singles, Anyone Can Play Guitar and Stop Whispering, failed to become hits. However, San Francisco alternative radio station KITS added Creep to its playlist. Soon, other radio stations along the west coast of the U.S. followed suit. By the time Radiohead began their first North American tour in June of 1993, the music video was Creep was in heavy rotation on MTV. The song rose to number two on the U.S. modern rock charts, and it entered the lowest reaches of the top 40 pop chart. I actually, I hated Creep because K-Rock played it so much, and MTV played it so much, but it doesn't really sound, it doesn't really sound like all the other Radiohead songs. That's why that song is so odd to me, but it was such a massive hit. All right, let me ask a question. You sort of threw out the idea of driving into town to go to auditions. Uh, when did you start doing that? Um, I guess I was like 16, 16 or 17. Uh, at first my mom would go with me. I'd go on auditions. One of my first jobs was like this TV movie and OJ Simpson was in it, which I thought was funny given all the things that happened after. I, I didn't really work with him, but, but no, I, and I started acting in movies when I was 17. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. We wow. So making that drive from Agora Hills all the way into Hollywood and Santa Monica and all the other places that have auditions that everyone has to go to. Very exciting, you know, to leave my little suburban neighborhood and to go to the city. It was, it was super exciting. So when did you finally make the move to move into LA? When I was 18, I moved because I got in a part in this teen movie with the Corey Haim and Corey Feldman and I made enough money to, you know, pay, pay for things. And so I moved out of home and I got my own apartment and it was so exciting and freeing. Okay. You did a movie with the Corys. That's the second thing that I did not know. Cause I just found out today that you're an actor, a writer and a director, Aww. not just my friend, Heather. <laughs> what was the name of the movie you did with the Corys? License to drive. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, ah, uh, Not dream a little dream, but license to drive. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what that movie was about? I would imagine it would be about getting a license to drive. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was, um, well, it was really cool. Cause I, I was a big nerd in school. So, and in that movie, I played the pretty cheerleader. So I thought, 
this is pretty cool because in my own school, I was not considered to be that type. But it's basically these two guys, they're, you know, around the age when you get your license and they want to take this girl out on a date. And I feel like somehow they steal like their parents' car and they take it out and this is this crazy night. And then they have to like recover and like get the car back, you know? <laughs> Isn't it amazing that that back then, that's what could be a movie. Now, today, you know, going through the process of trying to get a movie made. Like, you can't do that now. But that was a time of the teen movies, which obviously the much better teen movies would be like those John Hughes movies, which were so good. I feel like they never really quite, you know, have a, accomplished th- that. Those movies were great, actually. Yo, you mean like Breakfast Club Breakfast and Ferris Club, Bueller? Candle, like all those movies. I mean, of course, there are other good teen movies, but that was a very good time for, for the teen movie genre. May I ask, did you ever audition but not make it to one of those sort of big ticket uh, teen movies? Because you're too young for Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I was offered a role in Heathers to play one of the mean Heathers. Oh. And I, my family, this is when I was living at home with my parents, and my, my family was super conservative. So they told me that they would kick me out if I, if I was in it. So unfortunately, I had to turn it down, which I was very sad about because it was a very cool movie. And you knew that at the time, you felt like that project at the time, like, oh, this is going to be really oh, yeah. good. I mean, Cri- I really wanted to be in a movie with like Winona Ryder and Christian Slater, but um, my family read the script and they were like, no go. So that's another reason why I'm like, I got to get out of this house because I want to, you know, be an actress and stuff. So back then, your mom or, or your parents or whoever would take a look at the at the roles that you were auditioning for? Yeah, I guess at that time I was 17 maybe. Um, so I was still like not totally an adult maybe. Um, so yeah. Do you remember where your first apartment in Hollywood was? Oh, yes. I was in West Hollywood. And I remember just feeling like so excited. And, you know, I mean, this sounds very sad, but the first night, the most fun thing I could ever do is I went to this place. It was called Larry Parker's with these friends of mine. And I ate a piece of cake. Like, you know, when you're like a teenage girl and all you want to do is eat like sugar, like, uh, but I do remember feeling kind of scared because there was this homeless woman on our street and she used to kind of talk on the payphone, but you could tell like she wasn't really talking to anyone. And then one day I saw her like taking, uh, I don't know if we're allowed to use four letter words on your podcast. Oh, oh, you can. Okay. She was taking a shit on, oh. on the street. And so this is from a little like suburban background and you see this woman like taking a shit, you know, in front of you. Like, it's just, it, it's like, hello, you just, you just made it to the big city. <laughs> No one was taking a shit on the street in Agora. You know, this was a new new thing for me. That is so incredible. I remember one of the first things, I, my friends and I, we had a house on Sunset or on Fountain in Fairfax. We were at 1339 North Ogden Drive. So that's, you know. I was very close. I think I was on, I was on Santa Monica and um, it was near like Crescent Heights, like east, uh, west of Crescent Heights. So you're two minutes from where we were living in the early nineties. And the big thing that happened then was um, Hugh Grant got busted for picking up a hooker uh, a couple blocks away. But that when uh, people used to do that, they used to drive down into our neighborhood uh, after picking up hookers on sunset and uh, they would park in front of uh, our place. And that happened all the goddamn time. Oh my God. Wait, so they would get the hookers and then have sex with the hooker in front of your place all the time. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but like, In their fucking car. Because back in the day, people listening at home, sunset between Fairfax and La Brea at night, especially after midnight, was hookerland. And especially at Gardner and and, uh, Sunset. That was sort of like one o'clock in the morning. It was just a a bonanza of hookers. And they would pick them up 
And then they would just drive down, you know, they would just drive down into the neighborhood park. And actually, this is a true story. One night, my roommate Betsy was on a date and there were, there were four dudes in the house and me, all my best friends from Northwestern. And we all went to bed. And then at like 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, we heard a woman screaming. And we all woke up immediately and I, everyone did the same math. Oh my God, that's Betsy. She's on a date. She's being attacked in front of the house. So we all ran out. And as soon as we ran out of the house, this car screeched away. It was parked right in front of our house, screeched away. And a woman tumbled onto the sidewalk and we immediately grabbed the woman. It wasn't Betsy. We we had a, my, my, my roommate, Jeff had, had a blanket and he put the girl in a blanket. We brought her in the house that when we brought her in the house, the smell of perfume was so overwhelming and she had cash in her hand. We realized, oh, this was a prostitute on sunset. What happened? She got attacked. She got, you know, some asshole picked her up, drove her into the neighborhood, parked in front of our house and then wanted her to do uh, way more than she was willing to do. And so she fought back and he started choking her and he punched her and she was able to get out of the car. And he, as soon as he saw us, he, he drove away. He was okay. Totally traumatized. I mean, she was in hysterics. She was in tears and and the guy did she try? She just didn't want the police to come because she would get in trouble. Exactly. And, and when the police came, actually, they were kind of jerks about it. Their, their attitude was like, you know, she's a prostitute, right? And we're like, uh, we heard a girl being attacked in front of our apartment. So fuck you. Exactly. Police. I mean, they should have better protection for like women that are working as prostitutes and they should have a safer, safer time of it because it's not fair. Oh my God. Horrible. We actually, my roommates, Betsy got home during that time. Yeah. Uh, and then she and my roommate, Jeff, I believe, drove that prostitute to the travel lodge on Sunset in La Brea because that's where she was staying and that's where her pimp was. So that is my that's my crazy um, Hollywood, West Hollywood story from wow. the early 90s. Radiohead finished their second album by the end of 1994 and released The Benz in March of 1995. It received strong reviews for its songwriting and performances. While Radiohead were seen as outsiders to the Britpop scene, they were finally successful in their home country as the singles Fake Plastic Trees, High and Dry, Just, and Street Spirit made their way to the charts. That's my favorite Radiohead record, The Benz. They're amazing. Um, So what was... Because I don't know the answer to this. What was the first job that you got that sort of elevated you in your early career? Um, okay, I'm going to answer that. But before saying that, I want to say if you love Radiohead, one of the best ways to listen to Radiohead is when you're doing yoga. I have this yoga teacher in New York, and she loves Radiohead, and she'll play it in the yoga class. And when you're just kind of sweating and in all these uncomfortable positions, you kind of get like into this high state. And then when you're listening to Radiohead at the same time, it's almost like a religious experience. And she loves, loves Radiohead. She always plays it. This teacher named Rima Raba. But um, okay, so the first job I did that got me elevated, I would say, is Drugstore Cowboy that I did with Gus Van Sant and Matt Dillon in, um, that was after License to Drive. And that's when I got into this kind of cool, arty world of like independent movies, which was very, very cool. And I wish that people made more independent movies today. I mean, I felt like that was a fun time for independent movies. Oh my God. You mean like the early nineties and such? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a thousand 
percent. I, I mean, I don't even know. Oh, well, you know now because you're trying to make movies and get stuff done. Yeah, I feel like, you know, movies became a little bit more... Um, just like tentpole and like, let's just do a bunch of like remit, you know, just a bunch of sequels to movies that have already been successful. It doesn't feel as creative as when, you know, people were just making just purely artistic movies. May I ask how was Gus Van Zant to you? cool by the way i have a very loud steam heater uh, <laughs> oh that's a steam funny. heater why is this banging it's yeah i have a new york city uh old apartment steam heater that's like it sounds like a hammer is banging on pipes so that is my apartment um but uh no he's very cool um he's a very uh you know it was he, we shot in portland oregon and um he's very quiet and i think he was much more interested in talking to matt dillon than me Oh <laughs> you know. uh, well, uh, well, yes, probably, but that has that has nothing to do with your abilities as an actor. <laughs> but that's a good thing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, I was so excited. I mean, he's very cool director. I mean, I do think at that time maybe a lot of people were doing drugs potentially. Um, maybe him. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. He always really did an amazing job. So. But, you know, he then went on to make a lot of movies about drugs. So I wonder if he might have been, like, basing it on any of his own experiences. I, that, I, I do not know the answer to that. I do yeah. not know. But I, that was an incredible movie. Did you get? Did you feel like you had a little bit of street cred after that I movie came out? It was so such a thing. Cool. Because coming from this small suburban neighborhood where nobody really, you know, watched arty films or knew anything. I mean, I think that was when I first learned about Tom Waits and just like Charles Bukowski and like reading all these. It was just so exciting to meet these arty people and just be exposed to, you know, cultural things outside of my suburban world. Yeah. For people playing along at home, um, one of the most famous things about Agora Hills right now is that the Bachelor and Bachelorette house is in the hills of Agora Hills. Agora's gotten much cooler since I lived oh there. Like now God. a lot of people live there. But when I was there, it was really just an up-and-coming neighborhood. And, like, there were, like, some, I don't know, like, goats wandering around the mountains. You know, but now, I mean, I think we didn't have a movie theater there. But now they have a movie theater. And they have a lot more things going on there. Well, it's also Kardashian land out there now. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And because you have all those, you have that Lamborghini dealership. You have a Cadillac dealership right before you cross from Calabasas into Agora Hills. Yeah, I mean, it is pretty. It's pretty. I'm just realizing this. So let me ask one last question about Agora Hills. Did when you when you guys were young, did you guys go to the beach a lot? Because you're so you're yeah, kind of close I, to Malibu. Yeah, well, basically, it's off of Canaan Road, so you can just shoot over to Malibu. I mean, to be honest, we always tried to seem cool, like, oh, where are you from? Oh, Gore, it's really close to Malibu, you know, even though, whatever, we're not in Malibu, but we all tried to claim that we really lived in Malibu, right? But you can drive to the beach and get there in, like, 15, 20 minutes, and it was a thing in our high school that, um, you know, a lot of kids would drive there, and they would drink and party, and every now and then... kid would just like go over the edge of the mountain just because you know that road to the beach is a bit like uh narrow and you're driving through all these canyons but no we spent a lot of time on the beach and it was really fun um i'll I'll give you a little uh sad thing about canyon road troutdale closed brando's plane really do you know that little trout uh it's like a it's like you pay to fish it's like it it's like it's near that post office that has the barbecue that got burned out a couple years ago yeah trout Yeah, very sad people listening at home. Troutdale is no longer. Radiohead released their third album, OK Computer, in May of 1997. 
The album found the band experimenting with song structures and incorporating stuff like ambient avant-garde and electronic influences into the music, prompting Rolling Stone to call the album a stunning art rock tour de force. Radiohead's fourth album, Kid A, was released in October of 2000. It was a departure from OK Computer. Kid A featured more programmed electronic beats, strings, and jazz horns. It debuted at number one in many countries, including the U.S., where it became the first Radiohead album to debut atop the Billboard charts and the first U.S. number one album by any British acts since the Spice Girls in 1996. In 2001, the band followed Kid A up with Amnesiac, basically because these albums were recorded simultaneously. Uh, I was insufferable in the late 90s, and I saw Radiohead live many times here in town. One of the best bands I've ever seen live to this day. I will defend that. I will fight that line. Anyone who wants to fight me on that, you can uh, you can tweet at me or send me an email. But Radiohead is incredible live. Did you ever see them live? Oh my God, yes. They are amazing. Uh, amazing. I think I've seen them three times live. When you first started going to shows, when you're when young Heather is incorporated from her family, you, you maybe you got a buck or two in your pocket, and you're able to go out to see um, live music. What were some of the other great shows that you saw back in the day? Um, you know, I've never been a huge like concert. I wish I was cooler. I mean, I did go to Coachella once, and that's where I saw Radiohead, and I saw like Fantagram and Bonnie Vare. Um, I feel like. I did go see Sting, okay, because I had a huge crush on him. I've seen you two a bunch of times. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm not as knowledgeable about music as you, Brendan. Because I'm a nerd. Yeah, and and I'm you not have the rock and you, roll superstar that you are. I mean, to be honest, and this is going to make <laughs> probably sound sad. Like I like if I listen to music at home, I'm like, this is great. Like I don't know. It's like I like going to concerts, but I don't feel like I have to go to the concert. Does that make me seem very dorky? I'm the dork. You're not okay. a dork. You you actually have a career that needs tending to. I'm the hobo that would much rather spend his uh, time and money you on concerts. You play instruments, right? I saw you. I saw you at your birthday party. So you're talented and you're a musician and a singer. Um, well, that shtick and people have heard me talk about this uh, on the podcast for the last few years before the pandemic. I would put together a band to do a show for my birthday. Uh, where I would play some of my sort of favorite uh, hard rock and punk rock classics because all my friends are musicians, but I I never pursued music. I mean, I love music. I'm the nerdiest music person who does not play an instrument really. I mean, I can kind of sing, I can kind of ape, but I'm basically I'm just I'm doing an imitation of Iggy and Ozzy Osbourne. I don't know if I was ever asked to sing a song seriously, if I could really pull it off. You know what I mean? I know oh, how to do theater. Down a lot. I think you're, you're amazing. Well, I, I appreciate that. But I, I don't think that I have the musician's switch. I think that's like a very specific switch that you have to have in your head to want to sit in the house all day long and practice guitar yeah, or piano or that's drums true. or whatever. I didn't have that. I mean, I didn't really even have that crazy drive as an actor. I mean, I went to theater school, but when I got out here, for me, L.A. was more of a playground than, okay, I'm going to get really serious, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to I'm gonna lock into these auditions. Because when I was at- You told the story of the grasshopper and the ants. You're just like, you want to have fun. 
I'm not. But I'm <laughs> so I, I, I'm an ant. I'm like, let me work. Let me work. Uh, but you're like, let me have fun. But you know, I want to say the thing I remember the most about Kid A and M. Uh, what is it? Amnesiac yeah. is that um, I was dating Heath Ledger at the time, and we would listen to that together. And I was super into him, and so I always associate those albums with with dating him. Okay, that's a pretty good news flash that <laughs> that Heath Ledger he was working on a job, and I flew to see him, and he was in Morocco, and I brought Amnesiac with me, and that was like right when it came out, and I was very cool on the set, and like I'm like I brought the new Radiohead album, and everyone was like oh, Heather brought the new Radiohead album, and I felt like I was extremely cool. That was extremely cool. <laughs> what was the what was that movie? Do you remember? He was working on this movie called Four Feathers, and I visited him in Morocco, and I brought that album. And I remember when we first met and and we were first started dating, like we would listen to Kid A, and it's just an incredible album. I mean, it's like their music is so timeless. Like if you listen to it now, it's so beautiful. When the yoga teacher in New York plays radiohead does she just play a whole ton of different radiohead or does she play stuff like okay i'm going to put on kid a right now and we're going to do yoga to this whole album well the thing about yoga is there's like you know there's this you warm up and then there's like a more aggressive period and there's a more wind down period so she'll play the different songs in different moments like maybe there's a more athletic section and then there's this dreamy section where you're stretching and you feel like you're in this other world world of just like more emotional. I mean, she, it's almost like you're going through a trip, you know, in some classes she'll play only Radiohead and, 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 and she is amazing. And she is obsessed with Radiohead. We we're both obsessed with Radiohead. And I guess she was biking in New York one day and she biked past Tom York and she, she said hello to him. She was very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever said hello to Tom York? No, I wish. I mean, I've gone to their concerts, but I know I, I have never gotten to meet them. They're so cool. Um, here's another shocking news flash for you. I actually had a yoga period. You did? I did. I swear to God. You would be great at yoga. In fact, after the pandemic, you should come and go to Rima Raboth. I'll tell her to have a Radiohead class and we'll listen to Radiohead in the class. Because Radiohead <laughs> is also her favorite band too. That's hysterical. I, my friends and I used to go to, this was late 90s, 97, 98. We would drive from Hollywood to Yoga Works in Santa Monica. Oh, yes. On Main Street. On Main Street. And because uh, we had a favorite teacher and her name was Lauren, I just remember that she was fantastic. I used to go to uh, Sean Corn. Did you ever go to Sean Corn? No. Where where was that? Is that a dude? Yoga Works Main Street. That's the best. That is, I love that there. Well, you just go in there and then you sweat all of your stress out. And then when you're, when you, then you feel like you're reborn at the end of it. You're just like, like life is great. I tried to get to go you go with me. Remember, I invited you and you didn't come. That is true. That is true. I think, you know, isn't it so strange that I, we have not physically seen each other since probably last February? Ugh, that's because you came to my birthday party, right? Yeah. But it, I mean, it's January 2021, Ugh. which is so I mean, that is sad. But at least we do have Zoom. At least we have Zoom. 2003's Hail to the Thief mixed rock and electronic music with lyrics inspired by the War on Terror. And it was Radiohead's final album for EMI. Their subsequent releases have pioneered alternative platforms such as Pay What You Want and BitTorrent. Radiohead self-released their seventh album in 2007, and that was called In Rainbows. This album was available as a download for which customers could set their own price, and of course the album received critical and chart success. 
Their eighth album, The King of Limbs, in 2011, uh, was an exploration of rhythm. It was developed using extensive looping and sampling. A moon-shaped pool in 2016 prominently featured Johnny Greenwood's orchestral arrangements. Radiohead was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in the year of our Lord, 2019. Is there any last thing that you want to say uh, about Radiohead today? I do have one last thing to say about Radiohead. I love Radiohead. (laughs) (laughs) Or I want to say thank you, Radiohead, for making some so such great music. And it's really I love it. Is there anything that you're listening to these days that's that's like a little new? Have you discovered anything in the pandemic or is there anything fun that you've discovered in the last year or so? Um, you know, I've been listening to a lot of like, uh, radio stations on Spotify. What have you been listening to? Um, I have been nerding out and making my own playlists on Spotify. Oh my God. Really? I gotta, gotta get, I want to, so tell me how to get, get it. I want to get it. Well, I, (laughs) I can actually, I think anyone listening can, I think if you just type in my name, maybe in the search window of, and then it'll pop up. I think so, but I can say I can I can really nerd out and send you links. But this is how yeah. I relax. Send me a link. Yes. This is how I relax at night. I will just sit there uh, with a beer and I will make like an '80s playlist or a '70s playlist or oh a my '60s God, so playlist. Cool. Oh, wow. And um, you know, I have my playlists. They're all like 24 hours long uh, because I'm <laughs> I'm I know. No, I'm I know. always trying to find good. Music, yeah. I want to get them, yeah. I think if people listening, one of my favorite playlists, and this is so nerdy, Heather, I'm going to bore you with something, but I'm going to tell this to everybody else. I fell in love with the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because of the music, because they used throughout the entire Tarantino movie, uh, the radio station in Los Angeles, 93KHJ. And anytime someone in the movie is listening to the radio, they're listening to 93KHJ, including like radio tags from the DJs and commercials and such. So I made a 24-hour uh, hour long 93KHJ playlist on Spotify, and that's what I'll put on in the background in the morning when I'm just like doing dishes and writing or getting ready for whatever I have to do, because I've been listening to a ton of 60s music lately. Mm, like cool. that's the thing that's like relaxing me. You and- watch Queen's Gambit? No, tell me about Queen's Gambit. You're like the third person to tell me. And there's a very groovy 60s vibe in, in a lot of the, yeah, it's it's really, really good. What is that show about? It's about this girl who becomes a chess champion, but um, I'm not doing the show justice by that pitch. It's it's just great. You should watch it. Okay. is I'm going to ask you the dumbest question. Is it a British show? No. Nope. No. Okay. American. Um, Okay, I, I will. You're the voice of God now because you're the, the third person who said you need to watch Queen's Gambit. Mm-hmm. What else have you uh, discovered television wise? I mean, I love that show, Unorthodox. Did you watch that? I did watch that, and the young girl in Unorthodox is incredible. Yeah, I thought that was so interesting. And you know, it's because my boyfriend, he actually lives in Williamsburg. It's crazy that this other world is is going happening. Like, I mean, I'm really into like feminism and women's rights, and I just get so mad to see like women get treated that way. I'll just say this for people listening. Brando's planning. Uh Unorthodox is about a young Orthodox girl who escapes her community in Brooklyn and flees to Germany. And reinvents herself as basically a young artist. 
Yeah, it's a and great I think, I think the woman who wrote that story... Yeah, I read the book. The book is about a woman that was true. Like she was, she grew up, or, uh, she grew up Orthodox, and then she escaped. Do you know what the sort of the second part of her story is? Like, what did she do after escape? Well, basically, I watched the documentary on the making of Unorthodox. They, they, most a lot of it is true, but when she escapes to Berlin, they, they actually made that up because in real life she did leave leave it, but it was much slower and a longer process. So they made it a little bit more dramatically satisfying in the show. But you know, she left the community and she she writes about it and she writes about her experiences, and I think that's very cool. Like she's uh, the voice of like, especially for women in that community. It's so crazy. I like this movie called The Life Ahead with Sophia Loren, and her son directed her in it, and I thought it was so beautiful. I really like that, too. A Life Ahead. I think it's, yeah, The Life Ahead. Okay. It's with Sophia Loren, if I'm not saying the title right, but it's on Netflix. The thing that I have been obsessed with in this last month, I didn't know it existed, it's a show called Alone. Hmm. It's a reality show where they take 10 crazy people Hmm. and... They drop them off in a remote wilderness and they separate them. Everyone's separated by like four or five miles Mm -hmm. and you have to exist by yourself with the 10 tools that you've brought, a saw, a knife, a tarp, and and the person who lasts the longest alone, sounds horrible. The person who who lasts the longest alone wins $500,000. Wow. And most of the people go crazy. Like everyone who's on the show is like a highly skilled survivalist. They, they know how to catch a fish with their bare hands. Wow. They, they know like what leaves they can eat. I feel like I'd be one of the first people to go home on that show. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, the crazy thing about the show is that there are some like some really gnarly men and women. Like these are people who could cut you, who could behead you with a spoon. Like they're all tough wow. people. But a couple yeah. people get dropped off like literally in a bear's den or literally in an area that is completely patrolled by mountain lions and they leave before the first day is over. It, it happens a number of times on the show. Where I mean, it, that's not cool. I mean, why put your life in danger to win money, right? It's like nothing's that important. That seems pretty sadistic, actually. It, it kind of is. And the other thing that happens is people hurt themselves really bad on the show. It, it's real, though. And, and people starve. Like, you know, if you don't catch a fish for six days, uh, you're, you go out of your mind. Can it help you before you die or what happens? <laughs> they, they do have, uh, there is a team of people that monitor them and the team can actually pull you if they think that you're actually in really bad shape. And that hap- happens a couple times on the show too. Yeah. And there've been seven seasons of, of this show. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with you. Thanks We're for wrapping up. Podcast. I'm, I'm honored to be part of your amazing podcast, and I'm honored to know you. You're a wonderful human being. Thank you. Is there anything that you want to promote, or is there? do you have anything coming out in the next six, seven, eight months? Well, um, I am in The Stand, this uh, limited series, Stephen King book. I'm in episode two, and um, I'm also just in a movie called Wander with Aaron Eckhart and Tommy Lee Jones, and um, I did a Western that's probably going to come out next year with Sam Worthington and this kind of horror film with Ryan Destiny, but I hope my movie Chosen Family is going to be coming out maybe in an, a year, Like, so, so keep your eye out for that. I love it. And you're going to shoot that in Montana. 
Yeah, and Montana is gorgeous, by the way. That is really fucking exciting. Well, I, I love you to pieces. I feel like we just went out for a coffee and, and had a fun talk. That's all that this is supposed to be. Thanks for having me, and I can't wait. I'm going to listen to more episodes, too. You're the greatest. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for liking, subscribing, telling your friends about the show. We're growing exponentially. So many great guests coming down the line. And, of course, the Brando cast is produced by Mr. Richard Sheltinga. So until the next time, cats and kittens. Cats and kittens.